ので。なるほど。どねいはい、えー、今ここで速報が入りましたのでお伝えします。えー、画面でもお伝えしていますが、新型コロナウイルスに感染し肺炎を発症、入院して治療を受けていましたコメディアンの志村健さんが29日の夜東京都内の病院で亡くなりました。70歳でした。Television viewers across Japan in late March were shocked to hear the news of the passing of comedian Shimura Ken due to complications from coronavirus, leaving many in the TV studio and at home that morning in tears of disbelief. Shimura had risen to popularity as a member of the comedy group The Drifters in the 1970s and had been a household name in Japan ever since, with a number of popular TV shows. Unpopular characters such as Bake Tono Sama or Lord Stupid. For many in Japan, the passing of Shimura brought to life for the first time fears of COVID 19, while reminding us of the omnipresence and uncommon social significance of televised comedy in Japan. Why did the passing of Shimura Ken have such an impact in Japan? How does television comedy in Japan differ from televised comedy elsewhere? And why do we not see more political comedy in Japan? And finally, why is political satire important for democratic processes? I'm Tristan Gruno, and this is Japan on the Record. For more on the cultural significance of comedy in Japan, I talked with Sean DeHaven, instructor of Japanese culture, English, and humanities at the International University of Health and Welfare in Narita, Japan. Along with hosts of itsfunnyinjapanese.com. DeHaven is also the author recently of Comedians Who Dare Political Satire in Contemporary Japan, now available in the Asia Pacific Journal Japan Focus. I started by asking him to talk about why the passing of Shimura Ken had such an impact in Japan. Well, that's an easy question. <laughs> well, Shimura Ken was、uh, introduced to Japan as a member of the comedy group called the Drifters. And it's kind of funny, they, they started out as a, a straightforward band and then eventually shifted to comedy. And、uh, Shimura started out as this helper of the group and he was eventually invited to join. It's about five, six member group, depending on the time of the group. And with this group, Shimura had several comedy hit songs. As well as several popular characters and comedic phrases that permeated society at the time. This is in the 70s to early 80s. And elementary school kids were imitating it on the playground, these funny phrases and gestures that he did. In Japanese, you call them ipatsu gagu, so like one shot gag. Even after the Drifters program ended, he had several hit programs and he was regular on TV. Some other members went off to do serious acting and other things. But、uh, he stuck to skits and being on variety shows. In the 90s,、uh, his popularity did wane for a while. But then he eventually came back and regularly appeared on these variety programs in Japan. And, and partly because the comedians that were popular in the 90s and now the 2000s grew up watching Shimura and the Drifters with their parents and their grandparents. So at the time of his death, Shimura was a host of a long running variety program centered around animals. It was this cute animal program. And、uh, it was still appearing annually.、Uh, he had specials where his characters would come back and maybe more current stars would be guests in the skits and things like that. His comedy really appealed to a wide range of audiences in Japan, old, young, all in between. It's hard to find an exact comparison in the United States, but maybe I could compare him with Robin Williams when it comes to his place in the Japanese psyche. Both brought laughter to a wide range of people and were taken from us surprisingly early. 
Although Shimura's presence was mainly on TV, and it was even greater than Williams because the Drifters existed in an age of limited TV. There was like five, six stations, of course, no internet. So his TV show, Hachiji Dayo Zenin Shugo, it's eight o'clock, everybody come together. It was recorded live in front of an audience in a theater with these wild skits and like even like a police car would drive up on the stage and some things would go wrong. And it was one of the biggest shows on at the time with ratings of like over 30%, sometimes over 50%. It's just not the kind of ratings that you get nowadays where everything's so segmented and people can go on the internet for whatever they want. That's the kind of person he was. And so when he died in late March, it was a huge shock to the Japanese people. Of course, he's the first famous person in Japan to die from COVID-19 or related problems. And at that time, if you hadn't taken the virus seriously, you certainly were taking the virus seriously then because it had been reported that he had been hospitalized a few days earlier with a serious case of pneumonia and maybe corona-rated difficulties. For this report, I was going back and looking at uh, one of the morning shows and the uh, Sokoho, the peep, 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 peep. The news comes across, the text comes across the screen, and that's usually reserved for like an earthquake or a disaster or something like that. And it's stated that he died at the age of 70. And the studio audience or the different talento on the show, they were just flabbergasted. They were shocked. And I remember one comedian co-host of the program just breaking down in tears. I'd never seen people so shocked on live TV. And of course, the same thing happened for people. And I was looking back at comments for this article and people are like, I can't believe he's gone. And and I, I liked one person's comment. He or she said, he was like a member in everyone's family or a member of Japan's family. It was that kind of huge shock. And since then, many celebrities have contracted COVID-19 in Japan, but luckily nobody, at least nobody major, has passed away because of it. So he remains the most notable person to die of this. That's remarkable that his death had such a huge impact on Japanese society. And I appreciate you bringing up the comparison to Robin Williams, because I was kind of thinking about, well, who could we compare him to? That's not to say that everything has to be refracted through this lens of, you know, American comparisons. But then again, you know, when watching Japanese comedy on TV, you know, one of the comparisons that comes up a lot is this seeming lack of political comedy in Japan, right? And, you know, think about in the U.S. where we have The Daily Show, Saturday Night Live, you know, these very political Mm -hmm, sketches, mm -hmm. very political late night talk show hosts poking fun at politicians. Now, I mean, maybe that's just particular to the U.S. in a very fraught political moment. But, you know, it does raise questions of why we don't see similar comedic stylings on TV in Japan. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this article that you just published with Asia Pacific Journal Japan Focus about exactly this. So I'll pose this question to you. Why don't we see more political comedy in Japan? Mm -hmm. And you actually interviewed several comedians who are involved in political humor. So I'm really interested to hear your take on this and also hearing what they said about that. Well, when I first came to Japan, I was also struck. I was studying gender in Manzai and like why there wasn't more of a focus on female comedians. Although there is now, there's just a lot of great female comedians as there probably were before. And, you know, when I'm interviewing different people, I always mentioned offhand, you know, like, hey guys, are there any political comedians? And they'd always mention this one group, the newspaper. And I do interview two members of that group in the article. And my questions to them were like, why don't we see more political comedy on TV? And they gave me several answers and different reasons. For one thing, it's hard to come up with material. I mean, you have to be very current and you have to 
come up with it all the time and it gets out of date really quickly. And that was one of their reasons. And and that is true because Japanese comedians, they, oh, they'll work on a routine for like half a year, like, you know, 15 minute routine and get it down right. And if it's not related to something that's going on at the time, they can do that routine for a long time. That was one reason. But I think in general, television producers, they, they want to make TV that entertains the widest group. And of course, if you're aiming for like 80% of the people, to be entertained, you don't want to offend people. And so some producers shy away from any kind of material that might offend a segment or things like that. And I mean, this is a very difficult question to answer quickly, but I'd say 99% of the comedians here, they stay away from political humor, probably to widen their appeal, to not offend people. And perhaps because they know that if they're always doing political humor, they won't be on TV for the most part. And in some ways, the politicians have it easy here. They don't really have to make any clear laws about censorship. They kind of give an image of like, we don't really like that, or just give an impression of that. And the producers and, and some of the comedians, they jishiku, they censor themselves. And this, this word of sontaku in Japanese, to consider other people and limit yourself, that kind of thing. But I, I would like to see it change. I mean, there are some that do it but they are rarely on TV. I mean, there is certainly that idea of politics is divisive and we don't want to bring up things that are divisive because like you said, not everybody will agree with him. Not everybody will think it's funny. But then you also gestured at this idea that if you bring up something that's a little too political, then you won't be able to appear on TV. Mm -hmm. Now, is that because... I mean, when we think about TV shows, you know, Yoshimoto Kogyo, this very large production agency, mm -hmm. controls many of the comedians in Japan. Oh, yeah. I mean, is there like this Jishuku you were talking about, the self-censorship? Is it based on the idea if I do something political and I say the wrong thing, then I might run afoul of the people who control TV? And that's why there is a reluctance to do that? Well, first, let me say, though, that the vast majority of comedians probably never appear on TV. It's, it's a really small group. It's really the tip of the iceberg. But so are there pressures on comedians from outside forces to not be political? This is a hard question because there probably isn't direct pressure like uh, some person from the government saying, you know, do not be political. Don't touch this. Don't do that. For example, Woman Rush Hour and Minamoto Daisuke from Woman Rush Hour, when he did his political routines on TV and the manzai, it was, it was very rare. And then he dropped out of this one TV show that he does on the internet. People automatically assumed it was because of pressure from Yoshimoto. And, but he, he denies that it's pressure from Yoshimoto. But it's hard to believe that there would be no ramifications inside the company from making too much trouble on social media about politics and being too outspoken about politics. But at least he said that wasn't the reason that he got off the show. And to his testament, a couple years ago, he did this great routine with his partner, Woman Rush Hour. It was on TV and it was just, it just blew everybody away. It was, it was on the news. It was on serious newspapers talking about the routine and things like that. It was on the Manzai, which is this regular once, twice a year program where they put the best Manzai performers on. And uh, many years ago, he and his partner had won the whole competition. So that's why he's considered one of the best. And Munamoto in his routine that one year was talking about how people were distracted by unimportant things like scandals with comedians and, and Gainojin and other things like that. He listed all these political crises. The biggest crisis is 
the lack of awareness by young people or by people about what's going on. And he actually pointed to the audience, you know, and, and they're laughing. And he's like, I'm talking about you guys. And that was the way he ended his thing. And that was just shocking, you know, I mean, and I was just shocked and blown away that it was on TV. Now, to the credit of the producers of that show, the next year that show rolled around, he was on again with his partner, and they also did another political routine. So at least for that program, for that producer, whoever it is, I'd like to shake their hand. They let him back on, and he was able to do it. But he and his partner, Paradise uh, is his name, are probably the exception to the rule. You just don't see others doing that. So I don't know if there's pressure from Yoshimoto. But I bet if Yoshimoto could find money in this, they would be completely supported. That point you made about Muramoto was pointing back to the audience. Yes. You mentioned before that he was doing some uh, political satire, political comedy. But we haven't actually talked about like what specifically that looks like in Japan. I mean, you were talking about Women's Rush Mm -hmm. Hour in particular as this group that's doing political comedy in Japan. Can you give us examples of of what kind of topics they were bringing up? what What exactly is the comedy about? This will be easy because there's so few examples. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in the United States, you have so many different kinds of comedians. And in the West, uh, Australia, England, etc., there's lots of things that you can choose from. In Japan, basically, on TV, there's once a year, there's a woman rush hour doing their routine. Occasionally, you'll see the newspaper on TV, not too often. And the newspaper, they do skits. Hello, everyone. (laughs) And uh, they dress up in costumes as different political figures. And a lot of these guys are stage trained. So they do songs, they mix it up together. But Woman Rush Hour, that was the first time I'd ever seen political comedy done in Manzai. I think it's easy to do in a skit, but I'd never seen it done in Manzai. And if your listeners are not aware, Manzai is usually, it's just two people. It's a straight man and a fool. And the fool makes mistakes and the, and the straight man or straight woman will, will hit the other one or, or skumi and boke. Kind of like a Abbott and Costello type routine. Yeah, that is the closest reaction. And, and people sometimes will ask me, was there Manzai in, in the United States? And I said, well, there used to be, you know, the Smothers Brothers. Uh, Abner Costello, people like that, but not today. Anyway, so basically the setup of the routine was he would play a representative of a certain place and his partner would have to prove that he was worthy to live in this place. You know, like I'm a representative of Okinawa. Are you want to live here? Yes, I want to live here. Well, prove that you're worthy of living in Okinawa. And he would bring up these points and it's hard to describe in English, but at the end, after he brings up all these trouble points from Okinawa, he's like, yes, you're worthy of living in Okinawa, you know, and congratulations. And you move on to the next area. Muramoto speaks in kind of a machine gun kind of speed. And in about five minutes, he covered all of these topics. He covered how comedians are, are taking the place of news commentators on TV, the high concentration of nuclear power plants in Fukui, how the countryside is dying because people are moving away because of lack of economic development, the failure of Tokyo Governor Koike, the many problems facing Okinawa over concentration of U.S. bases, etc., the many people still in temporary housing in Kumamoto at the time of the routine after the earthquake that had hit that area, and yet the government was spending huge sums of money on the Tokyo Olympics. 
the uneven relationship between the U.S. and Japan, the North Korea problem, and how news covers meaningless celebrity and political scandals while ignoring the important stories. That was covered in five minutes, and it was just boom, 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 boom. So, this five-minute routine was just like nothing I've seen in Manzai on TV. And that's the biggest example of political comedy, at least on TV. There are some people that are not on TV right now, uh, at least not that much, that are taking political comedy in a different direction. One of those people is a YouTuber, well, a comedian who is mainly on YouTube uh, called Seirogai Ojisan. It's kind of a strange name, but he's from Nara. Uh, that's a Kansai area, but he's based in Okinawa. And these videos are extremely educational. He, <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe. You have to watch them yourself. He's in a red t-shirt and a red fundoshi. It's like, you know, like little thing around his waist. And he's on beautiful beaches in Okinawa being filmed by, by a drone. And he starts the routine out and goes, oh, you know, like, hey. And then I'll say like, you know, shouldn't we be more worried about this issue of the Japanese government policy of such and such? Coronavirus. And then he'll go into a long explanation about what this policy does or what's going on in the world, and he'll inject humor here and there, but it's extremely educational. You'll find out a lot about a certain law or something like that or something that's going on. And he seems to have grabbed an audience. I mean, some of his YouTube clips is up to a million views. And now one of his clips is featured every week on a Friday on a morning show, Nationwide Morning. So he has kind of broken through out of YouTube. And so he's kind of interesting. And that kind of educational but humorous nature is, is somewhat similar to maybe what John Oliver's doing on HBO. Especially because he takes such detail and just puts in this humor between the details. And another person who's kind of interesting is a woman named Takamatsu Nana. She used to do these routines as like the spoiled girl that goes to the private school. These routines of how she would speak. And it was, you know, it's pretty straightforward humor. But she's changed, and now she's more taking on political satire in solo stage shows. And she's also founded a company where they'll do workshops using humor to educate young people and other people on voting and the government and social issues. So she's really taking this in an interesting way. And for a short term, she was even working for NHK. And so people were like, ooh, is she going to be able to do both? And well, eventually she did leave NHK. So you mentioned before that, you know, you hoped in the future there might be a little bit more political satire and political comedy yes. on TV in Japan. And, but can you talk about, you know, what is it about political satire in particular that is necessary in a country like Japan? 
Well, I don't want to fall into the trap of like, well, they should be like us. You know, we do it in America, so they should do that. And when I'm talking about political satire, but I mean, the philosophy behind political satire for a lot of the people that like it and, and actually do it is to point out the fallacies, to point out the uh, incongruity of the way things are going, you know, and hopefully uh, speak truth to power with a laugh track. And, and some people believe that through this satire that uh, you can raise awareness, perhaps make some changes in society. Interestingly enough, the newspaper and Munomoto Daisuke, neither of them had the illusion that their comedy would affect change. Munamoto Daisuke come from the place that I want to joke about everything to everybody and I want nothing off limits. And the newspaper was kind of like, we are a release of stress for the common man. So we are the common man's voice in a humorous way about the things that are going on that you're like, hey, that's not right. That politician can't say that. That's not constitutional. So obviously Japan does not have a pure political system. And, you know, like any place, politicians and people in power need to be criticized. And sometimes that criticism works better when it's in the form of humor. I'm Tristan Gruno, visiting assistant professor of modern Japanese history at Pacific University. And this has been another episode of Japan on the Record. Stay tuned for future episodes to hear scholars of Japan bring their expertise to bear on issues in the news. Thank you for listening.